Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. During the pandemic, many children have expressed feelings of fear and anxiety. They've seen huge disruptions in their daily lives and are worrying about the safety of family members. Suddenly, the future seems more uncertain than ever. What can parents and educators do to help kids navigate these uncharted waters? How can we help them continue to learn and thrive? For answers, I turn to Dr. Ellie Leibowitz, an associate professor at the Yale Child Study Center and director of the Center's Program for Anxiety Disorders. In 2018, Scholastic and the Yale Child Study Center formed a collaborative to explore how literacy can be used to foster resilience in children and families. It was through this partnership that I learned about Dr. Leibowitz's work and his research into how parents can support their children through tough times, especially now. Hi, Ellie. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. How's everything going with you? Tell us about your situation in Connecticut and what's going on with you and your family. Well, I think our situation is a lot like most other people at the moment. We are socially distancing and my three boys are home doing distance learning and we're all getting through it. How are your boys handling such a shift, a radical change in in routines, and how have you been talking with them about the pandemic? That's a great question. How are they handling it? They they are coping fairly well. I think they've been you know adjusting to all the changes and um, sort of getting used to the new reality. Uh, one of them is not a big fan of screens and isn't enjoying all of the distance learning as opposed to going to actual school and seeing his friends and. My other boys don't seem to have the same uh, problem and, and kind of like spending more time on their electronic devices. But um, overall, they're coping. And how, as for how are we talking about it, we're talking about it a fair amount. Um, it'll, it'll often be a topic, as I'm sure is true for many other families around the country, around the world. And we try to give them enough information in a clear and and sort of concise way so that they can understand what is happening and and why we're doing the things that we're doing, but so that they're also not overwhelmed by it uh, too much. How old are your boys? Well, I have um, a six-year-old and I have a 10-year-old and I have an 11-year-old. As you know, I'm the editor of Scholastic Kids Press. And I have a question for you about my kid reporters. I'm hearing from some of them that they're worried about the effects of the pandemic on their younger siblings. They're trying to protect them from the news and scary stories. Are you noticing your older boys doing the same with your younger one? How is that dynamic playing out? I think it's going okay. I think everybody who has more than one child knows that 
the younger the younger ones are always going to hear everything from the older <laughs> ones and so you can't really filter information the way you would with just one child because they're going to talk between themselves and they're going to hear but it also means that they can look at their older siblings and see how they're coping and and also take some confidence from that and i think that's happening in in our family as well and the real hero here of course is is my wife who is um, really handling all of the day to day of of you know all of the learning and just keeping them active and finding so many things to do with them throughout the day and so um, big shout out to her. Yeah, it's amazing. I see the moms on Instagram, and I have no idea how anybody is holding it together. But everyone seems to be doing a really good job. And if they're not, they're forgiving that this is such an extraordinary circumstance. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have to be a little bit accepting of the fact that this is not a normal time and we're just going to do our best and get through it as best we can and not go for perfection. I'm curious what you think about cognitive development, just collectively with children not being in school. We know that the younger a child, the more they're absorbing information and their brains are developing how, what might be long-term ramifications? Do we have any idea? I don't think we know. And I think we don't even know how long of a kind of disrupted reality we're actually looking at. And that's going to be a big factor in trying to answer that question. Because, you know, a few months is different from many more months. But I think it's really important for this period of time to not just be a kind of black hole in terms of development, but to really try our best. And again, with a lot of acceptance for the fact that we, we really only can try our best and nothing more. But we should be trying our best to make this period also a time when we can be, when we can be learning, when we can be developing, whether that's through interactions with school, whether that's social interactions online with other people, whether it's books and other educational materials, and even just conversations and games that you play, thinking about how to make this time a period that's not just stagnation, but that can also be uh, part of their cognitive and, and emotional development. As you know, many children are suffering from anxiety. I think we all on some level have an escalated anxiety level. How can parents and caregivers, you know, keep kids on track or get them back on track if they notice them feeling more anxious than usual? There is going to be some elevated anxiety that's true for adults and it's true for children as well. And I think we should be on the lookout and we should be noticing signs that a child really is um, in a little bit more distress. And that might be through their behavior. Maybe they're not sleeping as well. Maybe their eating is different. Maybe they're more um, upset more of the time. Maybe they're angry or irritable more of the time. All of these could be signs that a child is experiencing more anxiety and might need a little bit more support. And when we do have a child who is uh, coping with some elevated anxiety, the first thing I think is just to acknowledge that in an accepting way, to let them know that we see it, that we understand it, so that when when your kid is maybe having another temper tantrum or a meltdown, taking that deep breath and reminding yourself that that, that could be your child being anxious and being uh, interested in what they're feeling as opposed to just getting upset and having conversations about it. 
and then maybe teaching them a couple of really simple, easy-to-use techniques that they can practice or that a family can practice together to regulate anxiety. Techniques like doing some slow, deep breathing, even for just one or two or three minutes, can really help to reduce anxiety. One trick that we teach a lot of kids is take that little soap bubble toy that you might have in your house where you blow into the ring and make a, a soap bubble and try making a nice big bubble. Because every child knows that if you do that, if you want to make a big bubble, you have to blow a slow, steady stream of air. And that helps to sort of get them into that mode of slow, relaxing breathing. Uh, kids can also be given different ways to express what they're feeling. Some children might like to write about it. Other children might want to make a picture or, or a doll that represents some of the anxious feelings that they're coping with and finding those different ways to express it, to talk about it, even in a playful way can really help to cope with the anxiety. I also think we have to be thinking about the day after because even though there is a lot of anxiety in this period, I think some of the fallout from everything that children are experiencing right now is actually going to be more evident when we ask them to get back into their routines, when they have to get up and, uh, and go to school again in the morning and interact with other people and, and be in class and separate from their parents and all of those challenges that right now are, are suspended to some degree. But we're going to be asking them to pick up all of those strings and, and, and start doing those things again. And we should be thinking about that. And uh, again, making this a period that's not just a kind of functional vacuum, but that has its own functional expectations and demands as well, so that when they do have to go back, it won't be quite as difficult to transition. That's such a great point. And I wondered if you had advice for educators on how to manage you know, kids and parents' expectations and anxiety over the summer and when they do welcome them back to school. And we know that there will be a lot of reverberations and kids may be scared even to be with others. Yeah, I, I think it, it might prove to be a significant challenge. And I think that educators and parents should be thinking hard about how to optimize for that challenge. For example, by maintaining contact as much as possible with those things, even during this period, and even over the, the summer, stay in touch with your teacher, have calls with, with them, practice the things that you're going to be doing after. Don't be socially isolated. We're socially distancing, but we don't have to be socially isolated. Stay in touch with your classmates. Classes and teachers can organize um, class Skype or FaceTime meetings, for example, so that you feel connected to those things, so that it's not a long distant memory of how I used to go to school, but you still feel like you are a student and that's part of who you are and part of your life. And I think that will make it easier to cope when you have to go back. And I think we also have to be ready for it to be challenging and not get too upset if the first day is, is hard. Maybe we want to do something a little bit gradual. Maybe kids will go back for uh, a short visit before they go back for full, for full days. And maybe that first week will be a little bit more difficult. But if we go into it expecting that and being prepared to cope with it, then I think we'll be less uh, taken by surprise and we'll be able to get through it better. That's terrific advice. I also have a question about reading. At Scholastic, we know the many benefits that children get from reading for pleasure and reading aloud. But focusing these days can be difficult. I know that I'm mostly gravitating towards news articles 
and I find it tough to focus for long periods of time. What ideas do you have for parents and families to help kids just read for fun? Yeah, you know, one of the things about anxiety is that it tends to take over our brain and it makes it very hard to focus on other things. And that's actually a good thing. It's not, it's not a bug, it's a feature, meaning our brains are, are, are sort of wired that way because when we're dealing with a real threat within, with a kind of imminent danger, it doesn't make sense to think about other things until you've dealt with the danger. And so the way our brains have evolved is if there's something worrying me, I tend to focus on that and it makes it much harder to focus on other things. In a situation like this, where there's this background level of of anxiety and a constant drip of news and information that might be keeping my stress levels high, it can be really hard to really sink as deeply into other material, to, to, to have that long period of reading and be really engaged with it. But I think it's really important to keep up reading, partly for the reading itself, and partly also because we don't want to succumb to complete immersion in just thinking about COVID-19 and nothing else. So I would really recommend trying to structure short times. If, if your child can read for a long time, that's great. If they can read for a short time, let's do that and still keep it up though, so that it doesn't go away entirely. Maybe you want to do short periods of time. Maybe you want to read together because for a lot of children, it might be easier to listen to a story than it is to actually read it, but they're still getting a tremendous amount of benefit from that. And we also want to keep that drip of information somewhat limited. So it's great to have conversations about COVID-19 and, and the pandemic and everything, but it doesn't have to be the only thing that we talk about. And so if you're having dinner, that doesn't have to be the only topic of conversation. It could be one but we could also talk about the book that we read before or a character or just something else that's on our mind. And that will help to shift our focus away from only thinking about the things we're worried about and opening up that space to take in other information. What about children who may be grieving, who've lost a family member, who are frightened about family members? Many children have parents who are essential workers. How can parents help children grieve during a time when we can't even be with loved ones or express what we're going through. It is so hard. It really is. And, and of course, one thing that makes it harder is that when a child is grieving, the adults that are caring for them are probably grieving as well. And that means that everybody is coping with this difficult situation at the same time. I think parents should give their children the opportunity to express what they're feeling in the way that the child wants to express it. We shouldn't really have pre, um, pre-formed notions about what's the right way for a child to express what they're feeling. Sometimes parents might be uh, puzzled or worried when a child isn't expressing things in, in the way or to the extent that they think that the child should. But maybe that's what's right for this child at this time. And on the other hand, maybe it's a difficult thing to talk about and parents might be avoiding talking about it with their children. But that means that the child doesn't have the opportunity to talk about it. So letting your child take the lead on what those conversations should look like, how much and how they want to talk about it, and also whom they want to speak with. Maybe it's mom, maybe it's dad, maybe they prefer to speak with, with somebody else. And that can be um, arranged. Maybe there's an online call, maybe even a therapist who can be uh, available online to, to speak with them. So many mental health providers now are really shifting their practices 
to working online. So finding the way, the quantity, and the person that the child wants to speak with to let them express what they are feeling in the way that's right for them. I also imagine, I'm sure, that many parents and educators have feelings of grief just at seeing children miss out on such big milestones like graduations, athletic events, school trips. How do they cope with that feeling of loss, which may feel tough to grapple with when we have bigger issues going on? Yeah, there's a lot of frustration and a lot of disappointment. My my 11-year-old was supposed to be on a school trip that had been long waited for and expected, and it was supposed to be the very first week of this social distancing, and he was really disappointed that they weren't able to go. And I think we do need to let children express those feelings as well and accept that they're going to be frustrated and disappointed. But there's also an opportunity here for us as as the adults to model to children how we cope with disappointment. Are we just angry? Are we looking for somebody to, to blame? Or can we also see it as an opportunity to find the positive things, to think forward to the time when I will be able to do that thing that I can't do now. And maybe I really am going to miss out on something and I won't have it. But we have an opportunity to model a healthy coping with disappointment, which in a sense is a really good opportunity because children are going to grow up even long after COVID-19 is over and, and this pandemic is a distant memory. There are going to be lots more frustrations and disappointments and irritations that children are going to cope with. And so I would try to see this as an opportunity to learn healthy coping and and acceptance of the things that we can't control in our lives and flexibility in that I can have a good day, even if it's not the day that I planned, rather than only sinking into the negative feelings of what is wrong. One thing that I'm thinking about often these days is if parents have newborns, um, I would want to comfort them by telling them my dad was born into the 1918 pandemic and he had no recollections <laughs> when I was a kid. I, you know, and he was a very happy, well-adjusted person. He never, he had no memories and he would kind of smile when I would ask him, like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it was like. <laughs> well, that's right. And I, a lot of kids who are who are really experiencing this now are not going to remember it or not going to remember it vividly when when um, when when they're older. Well, this has really been incredibly helpful, Ellie. I wondered, is there anything else you'd like to add or anything we missed before I let you go? No, I think I just want to say this is, it's a difficult time. It's a challenging time, but it's a time that also can bring us together because we're all going through similar things and we're all coping with a shared experience and we're all going to get through this together as well. And hopefully stronger and better. Right. Thank you very, very much, and my best to you and your family. Thank you, and stay well. Thanks again to Dr. Leibowitz for joining me, and thank you for listening. To learn more about the Yale Scholastic Collaborative and for free educational resources, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash podcast. Special thanks to producer Bridget Benjamin, associate producer Mackenzie Cutrazula, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Ebrill. I'm Suzanne McCabe. 
We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.